This episode of Home Truths is sponsored by Harlequin, the premier destination for inspirational design and colour. When I go to sleep at night, I don't count sheep. I actually go through corridors and I kind of go through my building and suddenly, you know, you'll, you'll think of something and it starts pulling it together. I'm Pip McCormack, and on the show today, how Kit Kemp went from making tea and wielding a tape measure at an architecture firm to becoming one of the most renowned and loved interior designers working today, with hotels created by her on both sides of the Atlantic. I've been to a few talks given by Kit Kemp over the years, where she's explained to rooms full of eager people how to work with pattern, how to pair colour, and how to design a space. But that's what she's known for at hotels like London's Charlotte Street Hotel, Ham Yard and New York's Crosby Street Hotel that make up the Firmdale Group, founded by Kit and her husband Tim. And at each talk, I sort of fall into a slightly meditative trance as the way Kit opens her rarefied world of luxurious fabrics and interesting weaves and modern craftsmanship and artistry is so soothing and enveloping and welcoming that it's perhaps no surprise she has made it so far in the hotel business. Kit's career began with no formal training, but has seen her go on to collaborate and design with some of the biggest names in the industry. Her natural talent and understanding of what makes a beautiful piece far outweighing anything she could have learned in a schoolroom. That's not to say that some of what she knows can't be taught, however, and throughout this episode she shares several tips for putting together a scheme. But as she tells us of what went on behind the scenes of some of the highlights of her career, Perhaps at the beginning, it didn't seem life would turn out quite how it did. Well, I think um, to, for anybody starting off in design, don't do what I did, <laughs> which is, I mean, I, I never went to uh, design school or art school, but um, my first job purely by chance was for an auctioneer. And uh, he was a local auctioneer in Hampshire. And it meant that I was actually going into uh, lots of different environments and houses and places and sort of uh, measuring up and then seeing what furniture they had. And then it was going into auction. And actually, just by chance, this was probably one of the best ways to get to know about interiors and to understand scale. So that when I came up to London and um, I was looking for a job, um, uh, working for an architect was just about one of the best things to uh, to do. And I was lucky enough to meet a Polish architect called Leszek Nowitzki, who um, was a, 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 such a strong and vibrant character that he was uh, he gave me my first chance, really, because there was no reason why he should. But I was working in his office, uh, just carrying a tape measure and making the tea. <laughs> but I would go out on sites surveying with him and we'd sort of go into roof spaces. And because Leszek was a pre-war pole, he'd say, "Ah, oh, my goodness, when he saw some sort of mushroom on a wooden beam and he'd say, ah, mushlaki. 
delicious and he'd eat it. And, you know, we'd all be in absolute awe and wonder about him. He was just one of those characters that you could never meet twice. So I was very lucky. And was your husband, Tim, working there when you joined the company? No, he wasn't. He was one of the clients. And um, but a, a smaller client, if you will, because he had uh, student hotels and many of uh, Leszek's clients had these very grandiose ideas that actually never came to anything. But uh, Tim was uh, a client who, what he said he'd do, he actually would. He was a very practical man and, um, a- and he was here in London. And I didn't, I didn't, we didn't go out with one another immediately. It wasn't love at first sight. But when Leszek got married to someone called Alex Galitsin, um, he sort of sat us together and that's really how we met. And was it a meeting of minds over that uh, that wedding placement or was it, you know, did you instantly have a sort of design chemistry together? No, it was really more about cats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a Burmese cat who had had kittens and Tim uh, said he really liked cats. So I said, well, I've got, you know, one of the kittens that needs a home. And um, actually, I don't think he was that keen on cats at all. It was probably (laughs) just to get to know me a bit better. (laughs) So assuming things, you know, clearly went very well between the two of you and you started dating. And then how did, you know, this sort of partnership start to come together, sort of a working partnership? Well, Tim had, um, he, he... With his student accommodation, he was linked with the Richmond College in the States. And so when their students came over, they had somewhere to stay, which um, was very sort of two star accommodation. And it was great fun because we were young as well. So there'd be lots of guitar playing on Friday nights. And, um, you know, it was and barbecues in the garden if there was something. But he had these these uh, properties in Onslow Gardens at that time and then also Dorset Square. Um, And um, when he suddenly was was able to buy a freehold of the Dorset Square building, which was a beautiful Regency building and and had been owned by a British and Commonwealth or Kayser Irvin. It's a a shipping company. uh, he he, th- he thought, well, why don't we do something a little bit more upmarket? And uh, so it grew like that, rather like Topsy. <laughs> and did you, because so this is, this became your first hotel, the Dorset Square Hotel that mm-hmm. opened in 1986, I think. So did you, I mean, did you have any idea of what you were doing for a hotel? I mean, that's quite a big project to take on. No, we didn't. Um, but it's the arrogance and ignorance of youth and um, I remember we decided that we would have a little sort of restaurant in the basement and at that stage there was sort of water leaking all the way through the building right down into the basement and somebody knew Anton Moserman and they said well do you want to get him along and see what he thinks about your ideas for a restaurant and and Anton Moserman came along in white patent leather shoes I remember looked very terribly smart (laughs) in our rainy basement and he he pronounced he said you will never cook a meal in this kitchen (laughs) and um we sort of looked at one another and then tim said well what about those restaurants up in the mountains you know like la marmite at the top of courcheval and he said well yes yes and um anyway we totally ignored what he had to say and again that's through complete ignorance um and in fact it kind of worked out (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, Kit, were you personally doing the interiors for the hotel? I was. And I wasn't, uh, when I first met him, he was using Joanna Wood. And Joe Wood is, is a fabulous designer. And so, uh, but I thought, hang on a minute. I'm going to do this. And <laughs> I had had my own little company uh, called Barnacle Communicate, which was in graphics and um, doing sort of little sort of uh, sort of like little sort of post letters for magazines, uh, a magazine so, uh, sort of thing for um, uh, for companies. And so I had my own little company, but I thought, hey, I would love to do this interior design. So um, Joe had actually done Tim's house. And I thought, do you know what? I reckon I can do that too. And so I'm afraid I took over. Well, Kit, I mean, you proved that you were right because your long career and well-respected position proved that you, you were right to have that instinct. But that, I mean, that's very foolhardy approach to taking on an interior design project, I would have thought. Yeah, it probably is, but I guess now I've had sort of over 30 years of experience, so I must have learned something along the way. <laughs> so what did it look like? Tell me how it came together. Was it, did it come together how you imagined it? Did you have mood boards? I mean, how did you approach your first project? Um, well, it was a 37-bedroom hotel, and it started off where they weren't all going to be ensuite bathrooms. I mean, you know, we were so green, the both of us. But you know what? I love, I love fabrics, and I love that's that's always been the basis of everything I did. And I remember the first time I went into Colfax and Fowler. Um, is it you know just by Claridge's Hotel? And I somehow managed, because the door was a bit stuck, to not only come through the door, but I fell flat on my face as I came through the door. And, um, and then I had to pick myself up. And of course, those places were terribly glamorous for somewhere like me. And, and you didn't want to be made a fool of. Um, but nevertheless, I just stuck to my guns. And then I would go to wonderful places like Claremont, uh, where there were the two... Um, old older guys adam and and his partner and they normally were were very difficult to people that they didn't know but actually they were they really took me under their wing and they were very kind and gave me a chance and and helped me put things together as well so um i think the thing is you haven't got to be too shy or a shrinking violet you've just got to kind of get out there and believe in yourself Mm. And I and I know that the the Dorset Square Hotel looked, it had a sort of a cricket theme that ran through that sort of played to the local area. Is that right? Well, Dorset Square was the site of the first Lord's Cricket Ground, and um, so it had that wonderful sort of historic feel about it. And if if you, I think the most difficult thing when you're starting a project is just to latch on to something so we could start collecting cricket bats and um, look at a sort of old cricketing things and and build up a slight theme around it and it was a beautiful regency building so the windows were very large and um, it was a corner square and the square itself still sends turf to to uh, crickets uh, sites or cricket pitches all around the world and when when it was finished, Kit, when you'd finished the design on, on that hotel, did you look at it and think, yeah, this is what I had planned? Or did you look at it and, or, I mean, how did it, how was the finished product? Um, well, no, I was very proud of it. Um, and the first person we invited along was our bank manager, actually. <laughs> and he seemed to think it was okay. And then people like Country Life, 
kindly wrote about it um, as being the first country house hotel in London because that's the time. And uh, very small hotels like 37 bedrooms really weren't taken seriously in those days. Whereas in fact, these days, um, just the fact that somewhere is individual and smaller doesn't mean that it, it, it's not a viable concern. Mm. Did you Do you look back at the design of that hotel now and see the start of what has become your sort of design aesthetic or does it feel quite separate from where you are now? I, I can always go back and there are certain things that I still absolutely love about it. I, I still love the the little restaurant down there, really. And uh, oddly enough, we got someone called Michelle Cabri, who was then Michelle Pearson Cooper, to do the mural on the wall. And oddly enough, she just approached me about uh, two months ago to do the foreword for her latest exhibition. And there's something rather lovely about that continuity of a friendship and collaborations with people or com commissioning other artists where you get to know them and you grow up with them over the years. So we have a, a wonderful past together, but we're still, you know, I always think my best work is yet to come. Oh, well, I, I think it's really nice that you mentioned collaboration because I was going to come on to that a little bit later, but I think now is a perfect opportunity to talk about it because it has been such a huge characteristic of your career. You know, just some, just a handful of some of the amazing brands you've collaborated with include Christopher Farr, Andrew Martin, Chelsea Textiles, Wedgwood, Anthropology, Fine Cell Work, Porter Romana, C.P. Hart. I mean, I, I could go on for quite some time. What is it about working with other people that you re you really enjoy, and and also I I think this is is uh, this is connected to your love of discovering or, or aiding artists and working with them too and helping their career. So have, do you feel that you've had some help in your career by aligning with bigger brands, and then you've kind of paid that back to smaller artists? Well, oddly enough, we've always thought small rather than big. And I've always wanted to use smaller, more individual, unique companies or um, artists or, or tradespeople or craftspeople than very large ones, because I, I do love the craft of something which looks handmade. And uh, craft and, and art have sort of come together as one now, but there was a time where craft was rather looked down upon, but I could never quite understand that. Um, and, uh, and as for sort of designing with Wiltons and Wedgwoods and, and uh, wonderful people like that, that has been just a very organic process. If you'd have said to me at the beginning of my career that I would be doing this, I, I would be... I would be shocked and think, wow, that is amazing, because some of these names like Wedgwood and Wilton are names that I have known since childhood and really looked up to. So then to be asked to work with them uh, and create things uh, for them, collections, etc., or dinner services is, is um, you know, it's, it's something it means something to me. But actually working and commissioning other artists it, it can be quite fascinating when I see very young people, I can think, gosh, that's really interesting what they're doing, but they're using it on the wrong back cloth. Or I can see that this could make um, a brilliant mobile or, or ceramic or part of a shelving unit. So sometimes just by giving um, a, a craftsperson a nudge, they've got the expertise, they've got 
uh, the knowledge of how to do it. But sometimes we just have a vision of what we want to see. And uh, so just by giving that small um, input can hopefully make uh, the piece of work so much better and better than even our original idea. Mm. I've worked with you on a couple of projects before and I, I've always been really impressed by your sort of tirelessness to sift through, you know, so many reams of fabric swatches and wallpaper books and and still be excited and still see things that you that catch your eye and that you want to slip into your bag to look again later. You know, I, I think your enthusiasm is so heartwarming. What is it about craft? You mentioned a moment ago that you think that craft um, was once looked down upon but you've obviously been such a champion of it why do you think it was sort of looked down on and what do you think was the turning point for for it now becoming so celebrated it's certainly celebrated and you can tell by you know the collect um, fair which happens every year has such an incredible following now and I have to say a lot of the following is is with women and I do think that craft was possibly looked down upon because it was feminine work and that's why, for example, William Morris, going way back, um, his work was taken so seriously. But his daughter, Mae Morris, who did the most amazing sort of embroideries and, and uh, intricate work, um, it is only really being celebrated later and uh, almost in this generation. Um, so maybe there's a sort of parity now where everybody has got an even playing field. But also, I, th I think the wonderful thing about craft is that it's a very generational thing. So if you talk to a potter, he'll say, my grandfather was a potter and my father was a potter. I'm a potter. My wife is a potter. And there's that fabulous simplicity that, um, uh, uh, that makes all their work, even if they made the same pot over and over, it would still look different every time. <laughs> and I love that. I think one of the most... Um lovely things I like about hearing you talk about craft is the way that you're able to sort of bring the story of the craft person to life like for example one person we've spoken about before is Colin Millington the artist yeah. who does these wonderful uh fabric tapestries that you that you hang in uh Hamyard I think mm. and the way you talk about his work makes me want to own his work Oh, that's so, I mean, he is very, very special. And what I think is so wonderful about these makers and craftspeople is that it they don't just have to have started young. They can start, they can find their, their style and they can find what they want to do much later in life. And Colin, for example, was, I think, a merchant seaman. And, and he went into shops and he saw these wonderful, um, uh, they were sort of woolworks, um, and it, it's it's a sea scene, um, and because he's been on the sea, you can feel as if you're on this little boat with him, and there's this massive wave coming towards you, and an amazing sailing ship in the distance, and then you look into people's houses on the shoreline and under a cliff, and you can then understand the sort of life of the of the person who's been left behind while her husband's at sea. But he could only do this because he had that background. And then he went into an old junk shop and saw uh, an embroidery um, and he thought, I can do this. And then he sat down uh, um, and created the most wonderful artworks. But when you see him, he's a he's you know, he's an old man. He's not somebody very young. 
I think it's really, again, just it's so enchanting hearing you talk about him and his work. Um, but jumping back to uh, just after the Dorset Square Hotel then. So it just opened. What happened next in your career? Where did you where did you go? Was, was Firmdale a, a company at this point or was it you just one hotel? We had the student accommodation and we had Dorset Square. But then after that, uh, there actually was quite a recession um, and uh, the next the next one was Covent Garden Hotel. And then that was 96. Then in 2000, Charlotte Street Hotel. And then in 2001, number 16, 2002, Knightsbridge Hotel. 2004 was a, a new build, uh, the Soho Hotel. And then 2007 was Haymarket. And so it goes on. With this sort of rapid, uh, well, probably not that rapid, but this sort of big growth in London, you know, growing more and more hotels. What was the, was the reception always really uh, warm towards you? Were, were you becoming sort of more well known, presumably becoming a bit of a design celebrity in your own right? I would have thought by about 2007 when we opened Haymarket. Um, yeah, I was beginning to be slightly known. But I think because it was mainly hotels, I was never... Um, sort of one of the greats of the sort of design world. Um, but nevertheless, I was working like a little old demon all those years. <laughs> um, I, I wonder what your day-to-day was like when you were putting those hotels together, because you're, I, you're very involved in, in each project, aren't you? Yes, very involved. And also, it's like a rebirth of a building. Very often, you were, we, we were working... For example, in Soho, um, just by St Anne's Court was was very run down, um, and the area uh, around Covent Garden Hotel actually wasn't in great shape either. Um, and then, so you're looking at old buildings. We're changing uh, Covent Garden, for example, was an old French hospital which had shut down and was derelict. Um, Charlotte Street Hotel was um, a dental warehouse and uh, another sort of warehouse at the back. So it was a total rebuild. Charlotte Street was great because it was um, Bloomsbury country. It was in Bloomsbury. So that was fabulous to sort of look up all the Bloomsbury group. And you learn so much about history um, at the same time. So at that point, I was learning about Duncan Grant, Vanessa Bell, the Omega workshop and everything else like that. And with every um, different building, you sort of learn something different. How do you approach a hotel kit? Do you start with the building? Do you start with, a, I don't know, a fabric swatch? Or Talk me through the process. Um, it does depend. I think the, the most difficult thing is if you're doing a complete uh, new build like Soho was. Uh, the Soho Hotel, which is between Wardour Street um, and uh, Dean Street, uh, was surrounded by other buildings. It was an old car park, actually. And that's why we called the restaurant Refuel. Um, so actually doing refuel was easy because all we got was a whole lot of kerosene cans and dinky toys and made them into bits of furniture. <laughs> but so it's, it's a lot of fun doing all these different things. Um, and very often I actually start with a few of the bedrooms. And um, when I go to sleep at night, I don't count sheep. I actually go through corridors and I kind of go through my building and suddenly, you know, you'll, you'll think of something and it starts pulling it together. 
Um, and so I'll do a few of the bedrooms first, and then I'll get into the main sort of sweep of the area, which is like the ground floor. So doing the restaurants, doing the reception rooms, doing the whole lobby, which has to have a welcoming feel. And then, uh, you know, the event spaces, cinemas, bowling alleys or whatever you have to do. Um, and, and so it's, 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 uh, it takes time. So you have got time to actually start pulling it together. The, the most important, and you get butterflies in your stomach when you're starting, because you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is kind of like huge. Um, but as you go on, it starts to have a rhythm and then you really get in your stride and then you get totally obsessed. Do the hotels look vastly different at the finish from what you started out as, or do they tend to look pretty close because it seems to me like you're designing as you go along and and adding to things the way you just talked about it Mm. yeah I mean I might have a general idea but um, I think all design and all sort of creative activities is an organic process and I think if you can say that you can see the exactly the design that you wanted at the end that's not right it should be better than your original idea and it should grow and um, uh, the different things that you're seeing, the different aspects should actually add. And it's not so bad to actually vaguely change and move it as you go along. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of open to, I try and keep as open as possible. And I try and move all my design along from um, year to year. Well, I suppose as well, because hotels can take several years to come together you know things change you know new designers come to the fore that perhaps didn't weren't around even when you were starting a project so it's quite nice to be able to be fluid and and add them in I imagine well as far as the because I'm there right at the very beginning so the most important part is to get the flow right to make sure that whichever areas had to be have to be um, acoustically correct etc and the the flow of the building so that everything behind the scenes isn't um, getting in the way of of your lobby activity, for example, and the fact that when people are coming into the hotel, there should be almost like a concealment, so you can't see who's getting into the elevator. You know, all those things have to be thought of, and but they're not the glamorous side, but that has to be truly well and truly thought out. And then I start thinking about how the balustrade is going to look going down the stairs and how I'm going to mix all those textures together, whether it's going to have some artists like Sandra Blow or Terry Frost, um, and whether I want to have, for that first room that you go in, for example, in the library, that good sort of feeling so that when you arrive off an aeroplane, you feel as if you're in um, something which has a little bit of history to it, but then a length of view so that you get drawn through to another area by something where it takes your eye and pulls you around the corner. Mm. This is all, what's so amazing about what you do. I think some of it, much of it is natural talent and instinct that you just, you're just, you just have a way with designing a room, but stuff that you just talked about, like the structural placement of walls and, you know, that's not something that you can ever just be born knowing, like you must have learned on the job, but when you were starting out, presumably didn't know because you didn't have any formal training, did you feel like you were learning on your feet? Well, when I was working for the architect, I mean, that actually was a a huge help in just really understanding plans and understanding scale and balance, because I realise now that when I'm working with members of my team, the younger ones, the most difficult thing that they don't really understand is scale, getting all that right and the balance and how you can... um, abuse the rules in a way but if you have the scale of things right 
So what, what does that mean to have the scale of things right? Well, I mean, very often they'll have uh, sort of sofas which don't suit the size of the room. The chandeliers will possibly be too small. And the way that they use colour within the room um, doesn't balance. So it doesn't look good. You just either go in a room and you, you, you always have to feel calm. It doesn't matter how much colour is in there. It has to have um, a sort of balance within it. But if you get that balance wrong, it can jar immediately. It can be some of the smallest things, you know, like the colour of um, a shelving unit. Uh, and then with the chair sitting against it where it just doesn't look right together. And, and yet if they had used a certain fabric further away, it, it, might, it may have worked better. I would never use more than one large print within the room and then they'll be smaller, maybe a smaller geometric, something else, and then different textures and different weaves within the room. I just want to interrupt this conversation to tell you a little bit about the iconic momentum ranges from Harlequin. From organic inspired wallpapers to architectural geometric fabrics, this contemporary range has looks to suit any home, allowing you to embrace colour and be bold with design. I'm particularly into the subtle metallic gleam of the element texture wallpaper, which is as sophisticated as it is beautiful. To keep up to date with all the latest inspiration from Harlequin, follow at HarlequinFW on Instagram. Harlequin, the premier destination for inspirational design and colour. And then, so jumping back to 2009 and the opening of the Crosby Street Hotel, uh, what was that? Your first American hotel was in New York. What was that like to pull that together? That was really... um... A, quite a milestone because, for example, um, so many British companies come to grief in New York. It's a sort of graveyard for British companies. Um, and I think our lifeline was that Tim and I, uh, you know, Tim, my husband and I are so hands-on that, um, I mean, if Tim had to sit in the mayor's office to get some kind of um, uh, permissions, he would do that. He'd sit there for a day and a half if necessary. Um because very often to get permissions and to sign something off, it had, you had to make sure that none of your subcontractors had, for example, um, outstanding uh, debts that they hadn't paid. And I mean, all kinds of things like that, that if you were a large company, would take months of your lawyer to sort out. Whereas because Tim and I were there, we were, you know, we, we could get over that, actually. But I mean, apart from that, which is probably getting away from the point, um, it, it it was a new build again. It was a gap between two buildings. So to actually get a place, uh, to get a, a hotel that looked as if it was meant to be, that felt as if it had always been there as you came in for the first time, and yet wasn't so fashionable that it like it was wearing high-heeled shoes, um, was um, it gave me a few headaches. Okay, I wonder what the uh, the general reception was over there because I think of your look as being, you know, fairly fairly English and sort of eccentric in our wonderful sort of British way. So, what did the Americans make of you? Do you know they've been so receptive? You know, sometimes over here it's so funny. I, I feel that that lots of journalists and people, um, uh, unless you conform to either look like looking like an old gentleman's club or um, you know a, a sort of a sixth form den. Um, you're not taken seriously um, and we don't conform to that rule um, but over in the states they're much more open and they take you to their hearts um, much more generously so um, the fact that I'm doing other work over there which has nothing to do with hotels is because they have made us feel so welcome. 
Because mm. I was going to ask actually what you think um, translates from a hotel room into a residential room. And I know you're you're working on a few residential projects at the moment, is, if that's right. And and I and I wonder what you bring from your hotel experience into the home. I think very often some of these. Um, great big houses in the States have massive sort of entrance halls, um, which when you're working uh, uh, in a commercial environment or for a hotel project, um, you have to make um, that feel a comely, homely place as you come in. And uh, very often there will be an acoustic problem in very large houses. Um, So uh, by asking me to do things, I can actually get over those problems um, and also make them fascinating and interesting and quite unique when they actually open their front door. Do you think a small, uh, well, relatively small British home could can take your approach to design? You know, because with, with sort of bold colour and pattern that you are fairly well known for now. You know, do you, do you think that works in a in a in a relatively small British environment? Do you know, that's really funny because I was just thinking yesterday that with these very grand entrance halls, I like them to be very light and fresh and sometimes neutral backgrounds. But if I'm doing a very small, very intimate little sort of cubby hole of a hallway, I will use actually a much brighter colour and a strong pattern because the strong patterns look better in a smaller area. Have you got any colours or patterns that you're particularly drawn to at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we, we actually have just recolored uh, chain stitch, which is, uh, do you remember Mrs. Monroe? Uh, she had that she did these wonderful hand blocked, uh, sort of rather flowery, floral, old fashioned prints. And now a company called Hazelton House actually have got them. Um, and they're not made in this country anymore. They're made uh, uh, in Thailand. But uh, chain stitch, which has a rather larger repeat, I loved. And uh, so we decided to recolor some of the colorways. And so that is one of my favorites at the moment. And it's in uh, blues and a sort of uh, lovely sort of happy blues and raspberry pinks. And then there's a sort of neutral honey colored because there's lots of yellows around at the moment. And uh, the blues and pinks are always very popular. Mm, I wonder what, what makes a happy blue for you? Is that, is that a bright blue? Yeah, it's a very, it's a bright blue. Uh, so it looks good even in a northern light. Because so often if you've got a northern light or lots of people use blues in dining rooms and they can be very heavy, you've just got to be careful how you use them. Yeah. So much of your hotel's kit starts with the look, I feel, but it's sort of completed by the vibe. Um, You know, there's nothing stuffy or formal about any of your places, even though they are often grand and, 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 you know, very wonderful. But they're not, you know, you just sort of feel relaxed when you walk into them. How involved are you in sort of the culture side of things? How much of that just stems from, from you, I wonder? I wonder as well. I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I don't like golden ormulu and I don't like um, just different shades of taupe. Um, so uh, they're very serious. I think, I think those are very sort of serious materials and serious colours. And because you're surrounded by colour, Um, by something hopefully that piques your curiosity and is quite witty, um, you're going to hopefully attract that sort of person who will enjoy staying with you. Maybe it's uh, maybe that your surroundings actually uh, make people wittier and funnier. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
I think it's I think it's perfectly possible and plausible. Yes, I do. Um, and then so after after you know you've sort of taken the hotel world by storm, you sort of swiftly moved into book publishing. Uh, how easy was it to distill everything that you do onto a page? Do you know, it's so funny because you start off and actually Craig Markham, who works for me, has been so helpful here because I'll say, Craig, I can't do it. And there's I, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to put in this book. And then so he sits me down and we just think up chapter names. And then suddenly I've got so much stuff that I, we have to start taking it out and taking it out. So I then start refining it and then getting more serious about it um, and um, and writing a bit. <laughs> Are you able to sort of see your own aesthetic changing through the books? You know, they're, they're brilliant sort of markers of the time, I imagine. Yeah, they are, yes, because they are obviously, I mean, interiors do date um, and it's amazing what comes back and what doesn't look good. And then suddenly uh, a couple of years later looks good again. There's just sort of different balances of things. But I would say that my main loves, which are sort of natural organic shapes and working with woods and working with ceramics and stone and natural things, I'm not really a plastic and formica person. Um, that has remained with me throughout. And if ever I get a bit lost in things, I go back to always those basics. You always have to have that. And of course, dogs have always been quite significant in your designs too. Tell me about that and why. Well, actually, oddly enough, at Crosby Street, that was the first time I noticed it because um, with Crosby Street Hotel in New York, I love this idea of um, design sort of created by the written word and um, that meant the sort of salon idea so that you know artists and artistic people would sit down in a salon maybe once or twice a week and talk about wonderful philosophy and art and you know etc and uh, then I went to New York I was walking around Soho um, uh, in New York and um, I kept on coming across these amazing dogs, these dogs with dreadlocks, um, massive dogs, uh, great sort of French or English bulldogs. And I was thinking, where on earth do they live in these massive buildings? And there's hardly any bit of greenery that I can see. But I became fascinated by the dogs. So I'd send out my team to take pictures of dogs in New York. And I thought, God, wouldn't it be fabulous to have all these pictures of dogs and these amazing shoes, like, you know, high heeled shoes and, you know, fabulous designs of shoes. And little realising that actually most of the time in New York, you're either wearing Wellington boots or flip flops. So I had all these pictures of dogs with people with their flip flops on, <laughs> which wasn't exactly what I wanted. But uh, we did get the dog theme going, I'm afraid. And um, I also have to talk about Rick Rack. Um, I love and I think I've probably even gone on to you about this before because I always go on about it to everybody I love the gardenia sandalwood soap that you have in the ham yard so much I've been using it um I got the shampoo recently the smell is just heaven how and why did uh, this collection come about well I'd always wanted to do the the, the perfume side um, within the hotel so that when you went into the bathroom there was something that you could only find in our hotels and so um, we decided to um, and, and there were certain gardenia smells that I just always loved there was an Anique Goutal uh, just gardenia perfume which I loved and so we, we sort of sat down uh, with our perfumiers 
that we had chosen to work with. And I never realized how difficult it would be. My goodness, it took us days and weeks of, of, of smelling different things. And then you take them home and, and, and sometimes you dislike them so much that you just had to shower them off immediately. Um, but finally, we, we, when, we, when we got it right, we knew it. And then, of course, you've got that fabulous thing of actually creating the uh, the packaging, which is what we love. <laughs> and um, so it goes on from there. And I've got another one that I'm desperate to do now. But because of this pandemic, uh, we've got no money to do it. So it's going to have to wait for about another six months or a year, which is really so frustrating. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> have you got any other brand extensions brewing in your mind? Um, well, the latest thing that we're working on is with the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, and um, that's one of the Andrew Lloyd Webber theatres. And um, they, uh, Madeline, his wife, approached us actually to create a, a dinner service because she'd seen um, Mythical Creatures, which I'd done for Wedgwood, and asked whether we could come up with some design for um, for the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. So we've had such a fabulous time doing that because. We decided to look up all the people that had ever been on the stage at Drury Lane. And I mean, it just is a, um, a wonderful sort of group of people going back through the centuries. And then we found some of the uh, costumes that they were wearing. And so we've got all of those dancing around this wonderful uh, dinner service. So that's been really fun to do. And then to go up to Stoke-on-Trent and go through the seven or eight slides of all the different colors so that the balance is right and the scale is right so that that's been really a nice thing to do yes and i know you're sort of keeping your design team busy by taking on other residential projects too which is a bit of a first for you isn't it yes it is i mean i just thought that the hotels have always been um taking up all my time but actually it's been really great and I'm really enjoying actually uh, working for others outside hotels and working you know in the states also in Italy and um, and it actually in another job in London too. And I'm curious do people come to you because they are really familiar with your work or and are they sort of trusting of you because they're like right I want the Kit Kemp look or are you working to a brief for the for the client? No, um, the the two the the two sort of clients that I've got uh, in New York, um, their their buildings need totally reworking, and luckily because I work with uh, an architect called Stonehill Taylor in New York, who know us since they 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 did the architecture to our designs. Um, in New York, I've got a fantastic team of people that understand the way that I work. Um, and as for the client, no, they've seen what we do and they love it. They want the Kit Kemp look. That's the perfect place to be as a designer then. You can just do what you like. How wonderful. Well, in, in theory, let's hope so. Kit, have you ever had a master plan? And if you have, how close are you to it at the moment? A uh, master plan, I'm afraid, isn't the way I work. And I'm always so impressed by someone who says in five years time, I want to have achieved this, that and the other. And uh, it never works like that for me at all. I mean, I love what I do. And um, every day brings something quite different. And, and I love to be doing different things. I just don't want to do one thing at a time. I like to think, you know, oh, let's do that sort of tea service. Let's think about this lighting. Let's think about furniture and have different things going on at different levels that that seems to work for me 
Okay, so we're going to move on to the uh, home truths section of the podcast, which is the quick fire round. What was the last piece of homeware that you bought for yourself? Homeware? Last piece of homeware that I bought for myself were a couple of lamps that were made by Amy Balfour. And she works very much in the Charleston colorways. And not only does she design and paint the lamp bases, but she designs and paints the shades as well. They're gorgeous. Beautiful. Uh, are they in your, your home now? Where do you have them? No, they're not in my home, actually, at the moment. They're here sitting on my desk and I can't bear to not look at them and to put them somewhere. So I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with them, but I love them. Um, How much of your design work comes from instinct and how much comes from sort of following an algorithm of of putting a room together? Uh, I think most of it will come from instinct, mainly because um, I never learned the basics. And so um, so breaking the rules actually is something which is like first nature to me. Did you pick up any hobbies in lockdown? Yeah, we we had the best time with um, creativity in self-isolation. And um, so actually it's the team and myself. I'm going to talk for my team as well. We had Victorian paper puzzles. Um, we had collage. Uh, we had painting picture frames and um, making lampshades. You name it, we had all those things. And actually what we're also just about to do is we're just about to have a workshop at Ham Yard. And I've got together two of my favorite makers. I've got Natasha Hulse, who actually was doing dress design until we said, hey, come on now, you can make headboards, you can do lots of things in interiors. So she switched over and she's just going from strength to strength. And then Melissa White, that with Andrew Martin, she did the artwork for um, the fabric collection. And so um, Natasha is going to make the sort of flower or something inside a frame. And then Melissa is going to create the frame. But you can come along and they will teach you how to do it. So that's our latest workshop. (laughs) Oh, that sounds so nice. It sounds wonderful. I can't wait to do it myself. I know. Kit, you've achieved so much. You even have an MBE. I wonder if there are any ambitions of yours left unchecked. Um, Yes, I would love to actually do stage design. And one of my great loves in life is the ballet. And it would be so fabulous to do um, a set for a ballet. Um, I I would love to do costumes as well, but I'm not able to do that. But I could do the sets. (laughs) Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to come and see a kit designed ballet. That would be beautiful. Um, What's your favourite thing about hotel breakfast? Because I have to say the breakfast at Refuel in the Soho Hotel is one of my favourite breakfasts ever. I love, do you know, I mean, I would never do a sort of pancakes at home, but to have actually pancakes with, um, you know, maple syrup and all kinds of fabulous, wonderful, sweet things on is my idea of a, a fabulous breakfast. And then, of course, I also like Eggs Benedict if I if I got up really late, but that's not something that I would do at home. No, it's a, it's a true hotel treat to have Eggs yeah. Benedict. Somebody else doing it and washing up. Yes. <laughs> and lastly, Kit, where can people engage with your work or perhaps find you online? Uh, well, Design Thread um, is, is the best thing. And every week, 
I sit down with my team and it's the best moment of the week. And then we do our kind of show and tells where everybody says what they're doing day to day and where they've been out and about, what fabulous things they've seen, and then what makers we can talk about and the do's and don'ts. And every week I'm so surprised at the things that we're still coming up with, even though with this pandemic and everything else, um, everything has had to slow down to a complete stop. But it seems to me that my design team are still spinning on with the most fabulous ideas. Brilliant. I could feel like I could listen to you talk for hours and hours and hours, but unfortunately that is where we have to leave it. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Pip, I've absolutely loved talking to you as always. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Home Truths. In the meantime, don't forget to buy the latest issue of Living Etc. in the stores now and to follow us on Instagram on at Living Etc. UK and me on at Pip McCormack. See you next time. This episode of Home Truths is sponsored by Harlequin, the premier destination for inspirational design and colour.